for the Lord. That's, that's what's precious. Not the very fact that he's got it, but he's using it for God. And he could be out in the world as circuit, making all kind of money and doing all kind of things and have all kind of fame, but here he is doing things for God. And he'll have a greater reward out of this than he could ever have gotten out of the world. Well, I tell you, good. I've enjoyed David Shepherd. And, and you know, Brother Dave, you've got some things out of Hebrew and Greek I didn't know were in there. <laughs> Brother Jimmy, yesterday, uh, uh, a young man, boy, made my day, but he really defamed you. I mean, he made my day, but defamed you. He said, hello, Brother Walker, talking to me. <laughs> made me feel good, but made you old. <laughs> You got that. Tell me to the book of Ruth, if you would, please. Oh, I thank the Lord this morning for his grace and his mercy. Sure is good to be up and at the things of God. The book of Ruth, in your outline, page four. I tell you, these preachers just don't have any trust in me at all. Brother David says I won't get to the last chapter. It has been done, hasn't it, Brother Bob? <clears throat> it's hard to couple up to the train after you've let the train rest for the night. You're kind of uncoupled, but in page four of your outline, our next truth will be Naomi's return. I talked to you yesterday about Naomi's ruin. We're showing the disaster, the disgrace, the death, the destruction that came upon Elimelech's family, and how out of ruin, grace will come in the form of Ruth. How God operated in bringing Naomi back to Bethlehem, along with her comes the mother, Ruth, or the mother-in-law of Ruth is Naomi, and she's going to illustrate for us the Holy Ghost, as we've already illustrated. Look on page 4 at Naomi's return. Verse 6 in your scripture, if you would, please. Then she arose with her daughter-in-laws, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Now let's pray together. Our Father, I want to thank you this morning just for the privilege to be here. We thank you for this old-fashioned tent. That's always represented for us the tabernacle. Many times you've let your presence be in this place like the Shekinah glory of the Old Testament. And God, I pray you'd do it again before this week is over. I pray that you'll guide Brother Jimmy and the preachers and the singers and the services and let us be obedient in the things of God. I pray, Lord, that we shall experience an old-fashioned Holy Ghost heaven-sent camp meeting. Lord, we don't want the mediocre. We don't want the form and the ritual. We want something fresh from heaven. Would you let the breeze of glory blow in this place? God, would you stir us? And would you bring us back to the things of God? Thank you for Naomi's return. I pray that you'll teach us some lessons this morning that we need to know. And I'll be very careful to praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to put my watch out here. And I'm going to try to give this next speaker longer than I gave that one yesterday because he's a lot more long-winded than Brother Bob is. And you'll find who that is after a while and you can appreciate my statement because I want to get out in time for dinner and I know he'll keep us too long. 
Alright, look again at verse number 6 and you'll see the first point on the outline is Naomi's exit from Moab. That the Lord's people, first of all, in Bethlehem had made it through the famine. The scripture says that Naomi heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. We shared with you yesterday famine in the land of Canaan. How unexpectedly God had sent famine in the land of prosperity. How God causes reversals does contrary to our expectation and imaginations. Well, Elimelech and his family deserted the land of Judah, which we saw was praise. Bethlehem, which was the house of bread. They forsook the land of promise, went over into Moab, thinking they would have it better, ended up with worse. The children of God never have it better in Moab than they had it in Canaan. You always have it better in Canaan in famine than you do in Moab in plenty. However, the world paints a better picture than God does at times. God can send famine, drought, dryness. How we handle our dryness, as we saw yesterday, determines future usability. If you don't know how to handle your dry times and your drought, you may run to Moab, disqualify yourself for further service. I don't want to run out on God. I don't want to leave God in dry time and dead times. I When the church is dry, I don't want to walk out and leave it. I want to stay with it. You say, but you'd have it better somewhere else. Naomi stayed ten years in Moab. Elimelech died. Malion died. Chilion died. Then she heard how the Lord had visited His people in Bethlehem. In other words, the majority of God's people had stayed in the time of famine. Let me say something to you very carefully. There seems to be an emphasis in this day that all the faithful folks are running to Moab, running out on the church, Ladies and gentlemen, there's still some people serving God, preaching the Word, staying in the time of famine, in the time of drought. They're going through difficulties, hardship, but they're hanging in the church, staying with the church, and staying with God. And that's the crowd who will have the visitation of God. Naomi heard how the people who continued those ten years had a divine visitation from God. And if I can handle my dry time, glory, the visitation's coming after a while. If I'll stay with God, I'll make spirits drought and hardship and difficulty. But one of these days, God's coming visiting my land. Hallelujah. If I'll just stay with God. But Naomi... Living in the land of Moab, heard how that God's people had not been dislodged in the time of famine. Oh, when Elimelech looked to the green hills of Moab, lusted and craved after the world, went that direction. Some of God's children said, we'll not leave for greener pastures and better jobs. We'll stay where we are, even if we have to die in the land of Canaan. I'd rather die in the land of promise than to die in Moab and leave my family in Moab. Leave them behind in disgrace. I'd rather live godly and die in Canaan 
that I had to live in the world in plenty in Moab and die and leave my family there. Oh, drought had not dislodged the majority of God's people. They'd endured the dry spell. Then the Lord has visited Bethlehem in giving them bread. Oh, she heard about this, and we'll deal with this in a moment. But God's visitation can be seen in the supply He gave. That God's provision is proof of His presence. That only means this, ladies and gentlemen. I've never seen the Lord, but I've seen the effects of the Lord. There are times in my life, no one has to tell me that was the Lord. I see the evidence of His presence. When I broke both of these arms May the 28th, and went through what I did and going through what I did, I didn't see the Lord and I haven't seen Him in these six weeks. But no one had to tell me He was there. His supply of peace was there. His rest was there. His joy was there. He was there. How do you know? I could look at His supply and His benefits and the fruit that He was leaving behind in my heart. Thank God I knew He was there. Many times His supply spoke of His presence. Mm. I'm like that dear little old widow. Poor, didn't have anything. One day she got without bread. She remembered the verse that God's children didn't beg bread. She went in beside the whole hearth before the chimney. She prayed loud enough you could have heard her a block away. Two little old devilish boys heard her praying. She said, God, you said your children won't beg bread. I don't ask for meat. I don't ask anything, but would you send me some bread? Those two little old devilish boys said, let's play a trick on this woman. They went and got a loaf of bread, dropped it down through the chimney. This lady had a spell. She shouted all over the living room. These little old boys broke in and said, Ha, ha, ha! The joke's on you! Said, God didn't do that! Said, we did! She said, No, the joke's on you! I can't help it if God had to let the devil's kids supply my need. Amen. Sometimes you got to look at the supply. It may come from a Pharaoh to supply the need of Moses. But it's evidence my God present. Oh, she heard how the Lord had supplied the need and bread had returned to Canaan. Bethlehem, the house of bread, had endured famine for ten years. Now she in the land of Moab hears how God has sent bread once again. Look at, her, look at the small sea. Naomi and her family miss out on the visitation of God. Oh my. Folks, there's nothing I, I hate anymore than to miss out when God's moving. How many of you fish? Have you ever gone fishing and they said you should have been here yesterday? I hate it when they say, oh, they were just jumping in the boat yesterday. I mean, they were jumping on a bad hook yesterday. Oh, we filled our coolers yesterday. And I think what I was doing yesterday and I was at home. And I thought, boy, wouldn't I love to have been there yesterday? Well, Naomi... 
hears of the visitation of God, but she's in Moab. Oh, did you know that's the problem with a lot of children of God? They're not where God's moving. And it doesn't run out on God. You've chosen some worldly thing, a worldly place to receive your satisfaction, then you go hear how God's moved in where you left, and you're not there. Then you wish you'd stayed. This is the truth of Naomi. The Lord gives bread, but Naomi and her family are not there. Naomi's living in Moab when she hears how God's given bread in Bethlehem. I'd hate to lose the land of Canaan. I'd hate to lose what God's given to me. In fact, I'd hate to run out on the church and hear how God blessed the church after I left. You know, that may be the key. Some folks may have to leave before the blessings come. Haven't you seen that crowd who says, if I leave, the church will die. <laughs> if they leave, the visitation of God might come. <laughs> then they'll hear in the land of Moab and be sick. Oh, you'll not put God's church out of business. It may go through dry times and dead times and famines, but boy, they got the visitations coming one of these days. Don't you run out. You'll be in Moab. Don't go to the world. You'll be in Moab. You say, I'll have greener pastures. Yes, but you'll be in Moab and greener pastures when God's given divine, heavenly bread in Bethlehem. And I'd rather have that, Brother Jimmy, than I had anything else. i got to stay up here. I might fall. I'm going to scare my wife to do i got to stay up here for her benefit. Now, you won't finish that unless you know for four weeks with both broken arms, she had to do everything for me. And if I even stumble up here, she'll have a heart attack. We'll have to take her to the hospital. But look at the little three. Naomi's living in one area, and God's operating in another. Oh, Naomi living in Moab. But oh, listen, folks. I'd hate to be in one area spiritually. And God's operating in another. Oh, I don't want in the area of my own choosing. I don't want in the sphere of my own concepts. I don't want to live by my own dictates. I want to live in the realm where God operates. If you've ever operated where God is, you can't stand it when you hear God's moving and you're not in on it. I can't stand it unless I get some bread. I can't stand it unless I get some rest. I want to get in on the visitations of God. You say, what's going to get you out of Moab? It wasn't the death of Elimelech. What got her out of Moab? It wasn't the death of her sons. Now there's something you need to understand. Tragedy doesn't always bring you to God. You say, looks like that car wreck would have brought him to God. Not necessarily. It embitters some folks. Her husband dies, that doesn't bring her back to Bethlehem. Her sons die, that doesn't bring her back to Bethlehem. What's going to bring her back to Bethlehem is when she hears God's visited in Bethlehem. Oh, if you got something inside of you, you can't stay in Moab when you know where God is. 
Oh, I want to walk with God. I want to be where God is. If I'm not where God is and I hear where He is, i got to get where He is. I'll confess any sin. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. Naomi's going to do that. She'll do anything to return to Bethlehem. But it's the visitation of God, the moving of God that stimulates her, stirs her, gives her a desire to go in that direction. And it's because of Naomi's desire that Ruth will have a desire to return. You'll see that in a few minutes. But if Naomi didn't have a desire, Ruth wouldn't have had a desire. And if the Holy Ghost hadn't had a desire to bring you to the Lord Jesus, you never would have had a desire to get there. Naomi decides to leave the land of Moab and return to Bethlehem. Now she can stay where she is in Moab or she can go back to Bethlehem where God is operating. To go back where she was, she must leave where she is. Let me say there is what is called an out of principle. You'll see it here. Abraham understood that principle. God told him to come out of his homeland. To go into Canaan. God told Moses to come out of Egypt. To go into the promised land. You don't get in on the things of God. Unless you get out of the things of the world. The tragedy of this day. Is that the children of God. Are trying to have the boast. Best of Moab. And the best of Bethlehem. And you can't. Have both. Worldliness and godliness cannot coexist. They may exist for a while in ignorance. When light comes, you're responsible to get out of what you know is Moab and wrong to get in on the things of God. If you refuse to get out of, you can't get into. If Naomi goes back to Bethlehem, she must get out of Moab. She must get out of what she's in, where she is, completely. That's the reason some folks don't get saved. That's the reason some young folks don't get saved. They're not willing to get out of the world. You've got to get out of the world and leave the world. You say, that's bad. Not if you want something better. She wanted to go back to Bethlehem. There was something better in Bethlehem than there was in Moab. And when you see there's something better in Jesus Christ than there is in the world, you don't mind giving up the world. Boy, I'm tired of these folks saying, look what all I got to give up. Give up nothing. Look what you're going to get. Oh, what was Naomi giving up? What was she leaving behind? A graveyard. The high cost of sin. The high cost of disobedience. What was she gaining? Bread. If they'd stayed, Elimelech might not have died. You say, but Ruth couldn't have got there any other way. God might have had another way of getting Ruth there. I don't know. I'm just illustrating the truth for you. Ruin. Degradation. But out of it, grace. Mercy. But then to return where she was, she must get on the right way. Now, folks, look at verse 7. 
Wherefore she went forth out of. There's that little phrase. That's that out of principle. The place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return into the land of Judah. Now, it's not just good enough to get out. You've got to come out the right way. And go the right direction. Get on the right road. It's like salvation. You can come out of the world. But if you go through baptism, church membership, that's the wrong way. If you're going to get to Boaz, you're going to have to have someone to guide you. Someone who knows the right way. Naomi was the one who knew the right way to Bethlehem. Ruth had never traveled to Bethlehem. Oh, she was a Moabitess. But there was someone who knew the way. Man. Say, how does she get to Boaz? There's someone who knows the way. Say, how do you get to the land of Judah? There's someone who knows the way. Say, how do you get to the house of bread? There's someone who knows the way. I told you now, Naomi's not a perfect illustration of the Holy Ghost, but she sure is the one who, who brings them out of Moab and guides her to Boaz. And there was always somebody who got me out of Moab, got me out of the world. There was someone who knew the way, the new and the living way. Who knew that way was Jesus. Didn't lead me in the way of church membership and good works. He led me in the way of redemption. He knew at the end was a Savior. Boaz, who's going to redeem me, not with money, but with the precious blood. He knew he'd pay the price. Naomi didn't understand that herself. She was just doing and walking in what light she had. Remember, I told you she's not a perfect illustration. Nowhere near it. But she is the person God uses to bring Ruth out of and into. She is the person who knew the right way. Mm, now, I want to show you how she got out. Brother Shepherd, you might be right. But I got to dwell here a minute, aren't I? I know I'm supposed to be teaching, but I got to preach just a little bit, all right? <clears throat> Teachers don't leave their text, but preachers do. <clears throat> I want to show you how she got out. What happened inside of her? Her attitude. I, I, I've already said a little about it, but I want to show you how she got out. And by the way, this is how everybody gets out of Moab. Let's look at verse 6 again and look at your outline. On page 5, the small one in parenthesis. Verse number 6 said, She arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people and given them bread. If you reverse this verse and put the first last and the last first, you'll, you'll have a correct understanding, because she heard before she arose. What caused her to arise was the fact she heard. She didn't arise and then hear. She heard, then arose. Now some folks are trying to rise when you hadn't heard. Faith coming by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You hadn't heard anything, you can't do anything. By faith, Abram went out not knowing whether he went. That was a foolishness. He heard something. Now here it said, she heard in the country of Moab. Now if you'll notice, I put it, she hears. That Hebrew word, that Hebrew word, okay, you can give your own definition tonight. <laughs> this Hebrew word is the word that means to call together. 
It literally means in her heart the impression of what she heard was to call her back to where she'd been. To call her back to Bethlehem. That's the reason many times when you hear a sermon, you hear beyond that sermon, you hear in your heart a call to come back to God. Oh, when she hears it, there's an impression inside of her. There's a tugging in her. There's a desire in her. Come back. Come back. Come together. A call to come back into fellowship with God's people. See, she'd been out of fellowship for ten years. That should give you hope. You're a child of God. You're coming back. You won't come back because of the tragedy. You'll come back because one day you'll hear. It may be through the voice of another. A voice of a preacher. But in your heart, you'll feel the call. You'll hear a voice saying, Come back. Come back. A call together. Come back to your bones. Bone to his bone. Flesh to his flesh. Come back to your people. Get out of those worldly people. Come back to your people. Come back to your house. Come back to the place of rest. In other words, come back where you left. Oh, come back to the house of God where God's people are waiting on you. To the vacancy you left when you went into Moab. Oh, the call to come together. But it was a list, the word listen, a regard, to discern, to be obedient, a witness, and to proclaim. What that literally means is this. When she heard it, she regarded it, she pondered it, she concentrated on it, she discerned it, she was obedient to it, then she could witness to it. In other words, she could tell the rest of the Moabites, I'm leaving and no one's keeping me here. I say to you, you'll never get in on the things of God till you can look at your friends and associates and world and peers and say to them, I'm going to God. I'm going to Jesus. I want to go to the land of praise. I'm going to serve God whether my friends do or not. If you've heard from God, you can witness about that and proclaim it. She hears. And it forms a conviction in her. But she hears of the visitation of the Lord. Said a little word, Visitation. Sometimes people have, have a tendency to pray. Lord, I want you to visit your people. As though they mean, let a sweeping move of God come across this congregation. That sounds good. I like to feel God, don't you? But I want to say to you, that's not what you need. We need a sweeping move of God. This word for visitation means overseership. It means he moved in to Bethlehem and took over. When churches have problems, they don't need a tingling sensation of glory that runs up and down their spine. They need a visitation from the Holy Ghost that takes over. Takes over the pulpit. Takes over the deacons. Takes over the teachers. Takes over the people who are living in the world and causes them to meet around an altar and confess their sins and say, yes, you're Lord, I'll serve you the rest of my life. Lord, I'm sorry for living in Moab. He took over in Bethlehem in the land of famine. You know why? Because they begin to claim God's promises that if His people confess their sins, God would send rain. That's the reason they got rain. Confession of sin. Turning from sin. Forsaking sin. God took over in Bethlehem. Now He was going to take over in Naomi. 
And I say this to you, the reason most churches don't have Holy Ghost revival, they won't let him take over. Revival is God taking over. Overseership. Say, so what rights he got? Ownership. Overseership. Because he has ownership. Mm. You need to understand the little word for giving. Look at it. Giving them bread, it's the word for restore. It's also the word for revival. He revived them and given them bread. And he revived them because he took over. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we need to quit fooling ourselves about Holy Ghost revival. Churches in this day are playing games with God. We're not willing to pay the cost of leaving Moab to have the things of God. I have never in my life ever prayed for the power of God to be in me. Except God broke me and said, I won't take over. He didn't use those words. Sometimes I heard it in the language that was contrary to the call. That was Naomi. Naomi heard how they gave bread, but the call in her heart was deeper. I've never had God take over unless I had to leave something behind. What I left behind was nothing in comparison to what I received. If you ever hear of Holy Ghost revival breaking out somewhere else, and it's a real revival, it's a revival where the owner of that church took over. They gave him the reins of the church. They confessed their sins and got out of their Moabs or got right with God and God sent rain and Holy Ghost revival came. Now, you can forget this thing of wanting revival without overseership. It's not coming. Also, this is the reason when a Holy Ghost revival comes, it'll be real six weeks after the revival's over. The reason being, Bethlehem had bread, but God sent them rain to cultivate the ground so they could continue to have the supply. When Holy Ghost revival comes to a church, God restores the church and restores His people and they have a crop coming in continuously. But Naomi hears how God took over in Bethlehem and giving them, restoring them bread, which is a word for showbread, which is that food for the priest. Our fruit or food. Then she arises. Oh, look at your outline. She arises from where she is. That little word for rose is a translation of the Hebrew word for stir up. Did you know you're not worth a plug nickel till you get stirred up? The tragedy of this day is people get stirred up about ball games more than they get stirred up about God. When I was an athlete playing ball, we always got stirred up. The coach tried to stir us up. He wanted our adrenaline to flow. And I mean, he'd prod us on. We'd come to church and someone says, Don't try to get me stirred up. What stirs you up? Just because the preacher pumps you up? No. The Bible said she arose. She was stirred up because of what she'd heard and the revival she heard about and what she could get in on. In other words, she said, Glory to God. 
Look what I can get in on. I'm going to it, not from it. One of the ways you can find a child of God, he runs to the altar, not away from it. When he hears from God. Oh, you can run just so far. But when you hear from God, you're going to run to the altar. Oh, she got stirred up. The Bible teaches about being stirred up. Peter talks about being stirred up. Oh, he said, whom having not seen, you love. And when he talks about that, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You can't rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory without being stirred up. Ezra Nehemiah talks about the folks being stirred up and had a mind to work. You can't get folks to work in a church in the spirit unless they're stirred up. And it's the call of God that gets folks stirred up. It's when they hear from God. And then she initiates her plan to return to the country of Moab. I like this return. Look back at verse number 6. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people and given them bread. But verse 7 said, Wherefore went forth they out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return unto the land of Judah. Now this little word for return is the word to rescue or to fetch home. I want to show you something that's unusual to me. Look at verse 6 again. The first part, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. You would have thought that would have said that she might return to Bethlehem. How do you return to the country of Moab? You see that? Might return from the country of Moab. But it means to rescue. But to fetch home. <laughs> Man, I mean, God's already fetching her home now. Uh, he's already reached down and got a hold of her. Overseer's here. He's already... Taken over. When he really takes over, he'll fetch you home. You say, I won't come. Yes, you'll have a desire to come. You'll have a desire to get up and get out of Moab. God put it there. You can't stay any longer. You won't want to stay any longer. If you've ever been acquainted with Bethlehem and the land of praise, if you've ever been acquainted with the house of God and the things of the Lord, you can't live where God's not moving. You can't live where He's not working. And God's moved in her. She is arising. To return. But when she returns, she will return with Ruth. You'll see this a little bit later. If Naomi had not returned, neither could Ruth. If you don't return, someone else might not return with you. Now that's in here a little bit later, but I, I just want to say this here. If any of you parents are living in Moab, you better get out of Moab so your kids will have an opportunity to get out while they can. Now that's all in here. But I feel like I need to say it right here. If you parents stay in Moab, you're going to keep the kids in Moab. And when you get ready to return, 
you may have to leave some graves behind. Or you may have to leave some kids behind married to Moabite folks. Naomi said, I'll not stay here any longer. She didn't know who she's bringing back. In fact, she's going to try to keep Ruth from coming. The purpose of that is that Ruth might make her own decision. And I want to say something about that too. The Holy Ghost will never make you do something against your will. This thing of salvation is voluntary. He doesn't predestinate you to go to heaven and make you get saved. you got a choice when it comes to it. But folks, I wonder, I wonder how many have been affected because the Naomi's would not come out of my well. I wonder how many were left behind because they wouldn't come. They wouldn't leave. But when I look at, look at her, what else is there? She has nothing else. And when she returns, she returns with the saddest of all testimonies. Now I want you to look at the, this truth that I'm going to share with you right here on your page five. Naomi's evaluation of her return. Now let me say what I'm fixing to say here. This is her evaluation, not mine. This is how she sees it. As she sees it, she sees it all lost. As God sees it, it's not lost at all. It's God's way of getting Ruth to Boaz. But folks, there have been many times that I thought it was all lost. I thought there wasn't any way of rescue. There wasn't any deliverance. I misevaluated the whole story of my life. Now here Naomi will evaluate her return. I want you to look at it and I'll be through and give that next speaker the time he needs. Look at the small A on page 5. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. In your Bible, verse 13, it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Psalm 38, 2 says, For thine arrow stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. The little phrase that she uses, the hand of the Lord speaks of his power, and the draw of his strength, and the stroke of the Lord. He himself went out after her, she says. Now as she returns, she's saying to her daughters-in-law, The hand of the Lord has gone out against me, and it's grieved me for your sakes. That it's gone out against me to break out, to break forth, to issue out. In opposition in front of me, she says. Oh, gone out against me, caught up with me. In other words, Naomi says, God finally caught up with our family. Her broken heartedness, a widow facing two widows. It grieves me much for your sake, she said. I regret that the hand has gone out against me for your sakes. Picture this, she's speaking to Ruth and Orpha. Saying, I regret, I'm grieved. That the hand of God has caught up with me, not for me, but for what it means to you and what it's done to you. This is the reason why, as parents, I wouldn't want to go to Moab lest the hand of God catch up with me and it, the end result would be what it did to my kids. 
and the people who tied themselves to me. Look at what it says. I regret that the Lord's hand has gone out against me for your sakes. She was emotionally disturbed and vexed and pained, sad, regretful, and remorseful. What a tragedy for those involved in our lives in our backslidden condition when the hand of the Lord comes against us. We hurt for their hurt. We weep for their weeping. It says they wept again. I want you to look at the comments I had to say. I just want to read those here. It is a tragedy that some have to go through hurts and sorrows because of backslidden saints. Our previous conduct on none to others may require the hand of the Lord against us. When it catches up with us, we may have involved others in our lives that we have learned to love, but who must suffer because of us? To see them hurt can be greater than I hurt alone. Who have we involved and included that will get hurt when God's hand catches us? What a sight to behold. Three widows weeping together, one knowing she was to blame. That's how she saw it. That's how she evaluated it. Jonah involved the mariners, though they were ignorant of his disobedience. We have a way of attaching ourselves to others in our backslidden state. For our benefit, companionship, we involve others unaware of the sorrow, grief, or pain to them when the hand of the Lord goes forth against us. Facing heart, broken relatives or friends who bear the consequences of our sins doubles our anguish. Shame is added to shame, disgrace to disgrace, dishonor to dishonor. Who can bear the shame I have brought on others? Loss of all three deaths, three graves, no husband, no children, no future for their mates. I'm grieved for your sakes. This has happened to me, said Naomi to her daughters-in-law. What that literally says is this. You saints of God, you'll do a grave injustice to sinners if you get backslidden. Do you know why you saints can't afford to get backslidden? Not because of what it'll do to you, but of what it'll do to those that you've touched. You're going to bring some things on others that they don't deserve. God's children, and get out of the will of God, and you'll touch other lives. Maybe even to marry someone. It's a law man who I want to. You may out of the will of God one of these days. He's no respecter of persons. He cannot and will not lie. He will testify in my in your defense for right actions or testify for your prosecution and wrong actions. The Lord is your defense attorney, or your prosecuting attorney is determined by you. And then the Lord hath proven me contrary to my name. Why do you call me Naomi, seeing the Lord have testified against me? My life is not filled with pleasantness. My life doesn't manifest satisfaction. My life is contrary to my name. So why call me what I don't manifest? Why call me a Christian when I don't manifest Christ? I may be saved, but not manifest the qualities of one whose name I bear, and that's Christ. You know, it would be a lot better sometimes if some people didn't call themselves Christians living in Moab. I remember I was out witnessing with a pastor down in Florida. We went in the tavern. That's the first time I'd ever been in the tavern. And uh, there's a bunch of fellows drinking beer. And the pastor wanted to witness to those in the tavern. So we sat around talking to all these. An amazing thing, every drunk at that table 
was a member of the church, but one. Everyone. When we found the man that wasn't anything, I got talking to him. And as I, as I talked, there was a little man sitting at the end of the table drinking his beer. And he interrupted me and said, Are you Baptist? I said, Yes, sir. He said, That's what I am. That ended my discourse. I'd like rather him not call himself a Christian. He brought more damage than I could bring good. Tell you something, folks. Our problem in this day is not wicked sinners. It's saints who call themselves Christians. And live like Moabites. In the first place, I believe most of those are lost. Because if you're really saved, after a while, he'll fetch you back home. He'll bring you in bitterness. He'll bring you just like he did when he saved you in godly sorrow. Sorrow to hit your heart and bring you back to God. You'll weep your back to an altar, way back to an altar somewhere. But folks, I don't want to live with the shame of someone knowing I'm a Christian and living like a Moabite. She said the hand of God's gone out against me. Don't call me Mara anymore. Or don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Just call me bitterness now. That's how she evaluates it. But in the morning, this is where this whole story changes. All of that's bad. But the next one's Naomi's Ruth. Ruth is coming to Bethlehem. And she's coming to Boaz. And she's coming to be redeemed. All of chapter 1 is Ruth in a foreign land. A Moabite. A stranger. A foreigner. Away from the covenants of God. Without God. And without hope. But friend, where there is no hope, there is hope in God. And I will say this morning in closing. This is not only true with Ruth. I praise God that the times that I've shamed him and disgraced him made wrong choices and decisions. And God has come out against me and testified against me. He has also given grace in the midst of it all. Forgiveness. Thank Him this morning. I praise Him this morning. But don't you leave Canaan. Don't you leave the sphere of rest. Don't you leave the bread of God. Even if there's famine in your heart. For Moab's hills. You do, you'll hear of a visitation. You won't be in on it. You'll weep your way back to God. It's better to stay with God and God's people. Stay with the church of the living God during its prosperity and during its famines. And grace will come and the visitation will come.